Poneman Institute has come out with its annual cost of breach survey it conducts for IBM. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and I'm speaking with Larry Poneman, chairman and founder of the Poneman Institute. Welcome again, Larry. Greetings, and thank you for the opportunity to do an interview today. This is the ninth year you've conducted such a breach survey. Any new surprises? Well, really nothing that kind of jumps out at you. It just shows that the cost of a data breach is still pretty significant. If you kind of read between the lines, we did this study now in 11 countries, and in every country except for Germany, the cost has steadily increased. You know, it's not an easy issue. In fact, just today we heard that the CEO of Target stepped down because of the data breach. So there are real serious consequences to companies that are dealing with data loss or data theft. Let's talk about those cost increases. Why do you suspect they are going up? It's fundamentally a data breach is it's a bad thing. I mean, obviously, when you lose data and it gets into the hands of a cyber criminal, it could be devastating. But there's also a reputational impact. And we measure that by the churn or the turnover of customers. Uh, that uh, result from the notification of a data breach. And this churn, which may be a small percentage when you look at the loss of a lifetime value of an individual, a customer, it could be an enormous loss. So even small percentages of churn or abnormal churn translate into big costs. I think people and organizations don't realize, but it's a trust factor, right? When someone, an organization you do business with, like your bank or your healthcare provider, when the organization loses your data, or even worse than that is, you know, the victim of a cybercrime and you realize they didn't have the right security protocols in place, that is a meltdown. Uh, it's a trust relationship that basically goes sour pretty quickly. And we notice that in trusted industries like financial services, churn rate tends to be a lot higher than in retail organizations. Today, as you noted, they were recording this conversation the day that Target announced that its uh, CEO is leaving because of the breaches experience, and that, that's a retailer, obviously. What does that say about the responsibilities of CEOs and boards when it comes to data breaches? Well, great question, um, and that's something we probably need to study. I think a lot of CEOs still believe that a security breach is something that is a technical glitch or a problem that middle management can handle. Now, when you look at things like a, a product recall, like General Motors had a product recall on a safety issue, that became a CEO-level issue. And then you see CEOs directly involved and maybe testifying before Congress. We don't necessarily see that in data breaches unless it's a mega data breach like the Target case. You know, data breaches of 10,000 or 100,000 records are really significant events for the people who are unfortunately victims, but a lot of CEOs would say, ah, it's small, small change, you know, relative to other things that they have to worry about. And that's a mistake. Obviously, you want CEOs to be involved, at least to, to some extent, on, you know, dealing with the, with the external consequences of the, uh, of the data breach. The per capita cost by industry classification for retail was $105 versus, say, $359 for healthcare. $105 uh, per capita, that could add up, though, for big organizations such as Target, correct? Oh, yeah, sure. So, so now, I want to warn people about our methodology, and sometimes this happens where, you know, we'll be talking about our research and our per capita number, and someone takes that number and they multiply it by, you know, the 
the 10 million or 50 million people who are data breach victims. Our model is specified for data breaches between about 5,000 to 100,000, and we do that deliberately because these mega data breaches, which are rare events, they don't seem to be a rare event, but they are rare, basically would require a different model. And in fact, we've done that in some of the you know, more notorious data breaches like the Sony breach and also Walmart. You know, when you look at $100, per a compromised record, and you still multiply that out by, you know, 50, 60,000 people, it's a big number. You know, it's no longer chump change. And, uh, and that's, again, why we want to see sea level involvement, more sea level involvement, you know, dealing with the consequences of a data breach. And to be clear, though, we should be cautioned not to multiply this retail number that you have in your report by the number of uh, p- potential uh, victims in the, uh, in the target one, but still it's a significant breach. Right. Okay. And the reason for that, of course, is you're spreading the fixed cost component over a much larger denominator, if you will, a number of people. And so as a result of that, the unit cost, the per capita cost, would, does go down pretty substantially. But still, when you add it all up, it's a big number. And a lot of companies are in that range of you know, 10,000 to 100,000. It's not an uncommon or rare event you know, in that scale. So... And that's why we look at it. We look at the more normal, unfortunately, I hate to say normal, but the normal occurrence of a data breach. And, and just to be clear, when you define per capita, you mean what? Per capita is per compromised record, and it's associated with an individual. So say you're an individual and uh, you have an account with Chase. Hypothetically, I don't want to pick on Chase, but you might have like five accounts, savings, 401k, and that's one individual. So we basically look at a per compromised record, which could have all of these subsidiary accounts. At the top of the per capita cost by industry classification is healthcare, by far in a sense, $359. The next one is education at 294 Why is that number so high? Why is healthcare higher than others per capita? We actually do quite a bit of research in the healthcare industry. What we find is that the medical record is the crown jewel of information for identity thieves and medical identity thieves. So I think one of the issues, again, it goes back to that trust story. If your local retailer, Walmart, Kmart, they have a data breach, well, it's a big deal for many people. But if it's your healthcare provider, you know, your beloved doctor or the clinic that you visit for treatment and they lose your record, it is a very big deal. And that results in a much larger trust meltdown. And we actually see that. We spend quite a bit of time trying to understand how patients of doctors and, of, and or in hospitals, healthcare providers, respond to data loss, and it's pretty significant. The survey says a strong security posture has a per capita saving of $14.14, the most among eight factors that are evaluated. Define what you mean by a strong security posture, and why does that reduce the cost of breaches? The security posture variable is basically something that we spend a lot of time thinking about and worrying about. We actually spend quite a bit of time measuring security posture using a technique or a methodology that we developed with PGP Corporation in, back in 2005. And we call it the security effectiveness score. And it's an index that basically looks at what an organization does to achieve a reasonably strong security posture. There are a total of 83 items that we look at. And based on that response, we are able to say that the index is X. And that index could be a positive or a negative. In fact, it's a number between positive 2, which is, in fact, the most positive. That's like your nirvana. And then minus 2, and that's like your hell. And you basically operate somewhere between that with 
a theoretical mean of about zero. So what we find is, um, in general, organizations that have a higher security effectiveness score, which we aren't using as a surrogate of the security posture, these organizations tend to do a lot of things better. It doesn't mean that they're not a they're able to withstand a data breach because I suppose if they were perfect, they wouldn't have any data breaches at all. But you know that's a cartoon that never will happen. But the reality is that those organizations that have a stronger security posture seem to do a better job remediating from the data breach and you know taking the appropriate steps to be prepared for data loss or data theft. And so that's why we find that the costs are pretty significant. The difference between those organizations that have a strong security posture you know, using our index and those that do not. You also talk about the impact of A-factors for capital costs of a data breach. Ones that seem to save organizations money is having an appointed CISO, a chief information security officer, a business continuity management plan, and an incident response plan, as well as a strong security posture. Those that cost the most are lost or stolen devices, third-party involvement, quick notification, and consultants engaged. When you're talking about lost or stolen devices, this means you know, the stolen laptop is more of a threat to, in, in a sense, a cost of a breach than, than, than any other kind of breach? Yeah, we find that in general when the device is lost or stolen, and it doesn't have to be a laptop or a mobile device, you know, something small. It could, in fact, be a server. It's hard to lose a mainframe, but I suppose occasionally these kinds of things happen. Really, when these devices are lost or stolen, it creates a much, much more challenging environment, if you will, for the forensics experts and people who are trying to understand, you know, what is the root cause of the data loss or data breach, and is it, in fact, a, something that falls under the category of, like, just negligence, or is there any kind of criminal involvement? And did this information ultimately end up in the hands of a bad guy so you can predict that a lot of your victims are going to become identity theft victims, not just the, the victim of the data breach itself? So that's why I think we see organizations that just don't have the wherewithal to do security very well if they don't have a CISO. Having a leader, someone who is in charge of the process, I think is very important. What was interesting this year, too, is we looked at that BCM issue, the business continuity management, and we noticed from a couple of other studies that we've done that there seems to be this trend of bringing together business continuity management, otherwise called like the disaster recovery team, and placing that organization or sub-organization within the security domain. So, and it makes sense because these are people who are about you know, fighting all sorts of disasters from floods and hurricanes and tornadoes, as well as man-made disasters, including now cyber related incidents that might bring down a data center. So these people are trained in fire drills and preparedness. That level of rigor needs to kind of be on the security side and, and the security team's readiness to a cyber attack or to a, a big data breach. And so I think that's why there's savings there. The consulting variable is kind of an interesting one. In some of the countries, bringing in a consultant is actually a cost savings measure, but in other countries, it's not. <laughs> you actually have a net loss and consultants can be expensive, but I suppose if consultants are doing a good job, they're paying for themselves, right, because they're helping the organization from having to pay the, you know, the, the largest possible amount on these different data breach cost categories. It's not necessarily a consultant itself that may add the cost. It's, it's the type of a consultant that you have. Right, right. Some consultants are better than others, obviously. We refer to quick notification here. What do you mean by that? Because that seems to add about $10, 40, $10 and 45 cents to the cost of per 
This sometimes ticks off some of the regulators that we know and love. They will look at our study and they'll say, wait a second, when you say quick notification, isn't that the obligation of the company? Isn't that a sign of you know, trustworthiness because they reported quickly? And what we find is that there's a high correlation between reporting early and basically an incompetent job in producing the necessary stats. A lot of organizations might say, you know, we just want to report it. Let's get it over with. And maybe... 3 million or maybe 300,000, let's just say 3 million and move forward. By doing that, you get a lot of people, in this case, you'd have you know, millions of people who are reported, you've received the notification that they've been a victim of a data breach incident, and they didn't need to get it. And so they worried for nothing, or canceled their credit cards, or you know, did some extreme measures as a result of being notified when they really should not have been notified. So a lot of organizations need to be, it's a balancing act. You need to be as smart as you can, learn as much as you can, be as surgical as you can in determining who's affected, how the incident occurred, whether there's potential harm, you know, all of that good stuff, to do it as quickly as possible, you know, not to linger. Because the other extreme, reporting slowly, is it going to be, probably does result in a trust meltdown. So it's a balance. And what we find is that organizations that are kind of pushing to reporting this early sometimes make big mistakes, and ultimately that leads to even a larger trust meltdown among data breach victims. I infer from the study that the fact that the U.S. does not have a national data breach notification law, instead of relying on, I guess, maybe it's up to 47 states now, different laws, is behind the $509,237 average notification cost per organization. Uh, is that the way you see it? Is it because they have to deal with so many different uh, state regulations? Eric, absolutely. One of the reasons why the notification cost is so high in the U.S. relative to other countries is that we've had this notification requirement, and it's at the state level, which creates a lot of confusion, a lot of mistakes are made. Not malicious, but a lot of mistakes are made. And it can be very costly for an organization just trying to understand who needs to be reported, <laughs> to what, to what organizations, who are the functional regulators that also need to be notified, and what's the timeline, because if you miss the timeline, you can get into big trouble. And so in general, I think that explains why that cost is so high. And it is kind of weird. We've been talking about having you know, a federal preemption, a law that makes it standardized, you know, what constitutes a reasonable response, what's the procedures, and all of that good stuff. But it hasn't happened, and it really should at, at this stage. Your report states that the probability of a material data breach involving a minimum of 10,000 records is more than 22%. How should that finding be interpreted? Well, so we have the amount of the data breach. Now the question is, what's the likelihood that something like this is going to happen again for that organization over the next 24 months? And it may seem like a small percentage, 20%, but when you look at the potential cost consequences, and I think we came up with a, what, a total average cost of $6 million, that's a pretty hefty cost, and the likelihood is certainly not zero. And as you move up, of course, the larger the data breach, the lower the probability of occurrence. But basically at 10,000 records, which is a pretty large data breach, we were predicting about a 20% chance over 24 months that you know, that's going to happen again. How should a CISO or even a CEO take that finding and what should they do about it? Well, good point. There are really two controllable measures, right? It's the cost. You know, when, when, when this bad thing happens, be prepared. <laughs> Make sure you have the processes in place to deal with it effectively. So that's part one. And then number two is 
get that probability of occurrence lower. Do things like use encryption, DLP technologies, just build a better governance process to make sure that the probability of occurrence is not 20%, but is a lot less than that. You'll never get it to zero, but you basically can probably do quite a bit to get that probability of occurrence down. Thanks, Larry. Thank you, Eric. I've been speaking with Larry Poneman of the Poneman Institute about the 2014 Data Breach Cost Report. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.